0: is the rebel author podcast where we talk about books business and occasionally bad words and welcome to episode 133 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am talking to one of my literary heroes, Alex E. Harrow, all about how to write a retelling and improve your voice and descriptions. But first, to last week's question, which was, have you ever applied to or participated in an anthology? And if the answer is no, do you read them? Edwin Downward said, I've been gifted many anthologies over the years, but I've only submitted to one, something called the Rebel Diaries. But for reasons that elude me, uh, I never got my acceptance email. Ah, I'm sorry, Edwin. (laughs) It was incredibly tough competition. Uh, And of course, everything was read completely blind. So uh, it it was based purely on the stories. and, And yeah, there were a lot. So competition was stiff indeed. Author Lena M. Johnson on Instagram said, Excited to listen to this episode. I've organised four anthologies as part of a team, and boy did I learn a lot. Can't wait to hear all of your wisdom and thoughts. Uh, Endalia said, Happy Publication Day. I've been in anthologies and I've read anthologies. I love that the stories are all so different, even with a shared theme. I hope to publish an anthology in the future, so taking this as an episode to study. Okay, well, uh, this morning, it is the 8th of April, Friday the 8th of April, as I am recording this, and I had my end of year tax meeting with the <laughs> accountant, and so it got me thinking, uh, and so my question today is, how do you plan? Do you plan by tax year, or by calendar year, or do you use quarters, or half years, or month, perhaps? Yes, so what is the time timeframe by, uh, by which you plan? Um, Uh, my flip-flop between tax year and calendar year and uh, so obviously financially I sort of run by tax year and that makes a lot of sense to me Um, but uh, typically I have done my goals by by calendar year but that doesn't really make sense when I go by uh, tax year mostly so I have been thinking about whether or not I should still be doing that. Okay, so the book recommendation of the week this week is The Mechanic, a John Tyler thriller by Tom Fowler. This is a patron's book, so I'm going to read the blurb to you now. John Tyler finally built the life he wanted, but his past casts a long shadow. Eight years retired from the army, Tyler manages his PTSD and begins a job as a classic car mechanic. He's a single dad to Lexi, who's about to enter college. Life is looking up. Then everything comes crashing down. Tyler's former commanding officer is out of prison and hell-bent on revenge. Their mutual hatred has been simmering for years. When it finally boils over, everyone and everything in Tyler's life is threatened. He wanted to be a father and a mechanic. To save himself and his daughter, he'll need to use the deadly skills he thought he'd left behind. Can Tyler stop a monster without becoming one himself? The Mechanic is the first gripping novel in the John Tyler series. It's perfect for readers who like action thrillers with a little humour and a little heart. So I will put links in the show notes to that and you can go and check it out. So in personal news and update, I have come back from the London Book Fair. I was (laughs) absolutely fucked, like actually exhausted Um, partway through... The Wednesday at the London Book Fair, I had to retreat back to my hotel because I was completely over sensitised um, or overstimulated, I should say. I ended up sitting in the room with the lights off and no sound, just basically in the dark. Um, originally, I'd booked a room with uh, no window, which I thought was bizarre when I got there and was a bit claustrophobic. But actually, when it came to the Wednesday and me really needing a very like dark room, it was perfect because there was no external light. So when I plunged the room into darkness at sort of 2.30 in the afternoon, it really truly was pitch black. And so I just sat there in the dark for about 15, 20 minutes, maybe a bit longer. And when I turned the lights back on, it was like I'd had an hour and a half snap. nap. It was unbelievable. But it really has reminded me that uh, I do have some sensory issues maybe, uh, and I do get very overstimulated. The London Book Fair was very, very bright, though, and very noisy. So I'm not really surprised uh, that I struggled. And of course, it reminded me that I really don't, I really haven't done any peopling for a long time, because I was just exhausted from all of the peopling as well. So what else? I met some lovely people. So thank you so much to everybody who came up Uh, to me and said hello. And for everybody who I met who has read my books, that was amazing. I really appreciate all of you. So thank you very much. I also met some lovely patrons. I met Scott and I met Helen and that was fantastic. So uh, yeah, it was, I just, maybe you can hear like the joy in my, in my voice, but I was so... Oh, it was just so lovely to, to see so many people who you have seen over Zoom for so long and then uh, just getting to meet them in person. And I always come away feeling motivated and excited. Now maybe you're wondering like some of the reasons why you should or should not go and I had never stayed in a hotel before and I met some people over breakfast, I'm sort of not really going to give you much information but there is potential for something to come out of that breakfast uh, happenstance so I don't know, it might not happen and I will obviously tell you more and the real story <laughs> if anything does happen but it just goes to show that just by being there physically present, these joyous, serendipitous, meetings can happen and that's the case for meeting people inside the book fair and at some of the networking parties that you go to it is just useful to be there do you have to do it no you could go and listen to the six-figure author podcast from this week and they have a whole session a whole episode on why you don't necessarily need to network and it's completely true um personally for me i love networking i love meeting people i do get like obscenely exhausted by it but uh, it was lovely uh, nonetheless and uh, I also had dinner with some long-term author friends and uh, went to the ally party so that was just lovely. So as of today, I am feeling a little bit behind, I won't lie. Uh, It is the Easter holidays though, but you forget, I think, uh, when you take multiple days out uh, for random events and things, just how quickly you fall behind. I'm trying desperately hard. I think basically I've accepted that I'm probably not going to get to do an awful lot of wording before the end of the Easter holidays, so that's another week. Um, I'm hopping over to uh, the Netherlands next week just for 24 hours and then I am presenting on Thursday evening at the Jericho event, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Um, But I think, broadly speaking, I'm probably not going to get loads done uh, just because I have had other, like, life things get in the way, and so I am behind on the admin. But Um, I am going to try and get all of that done by the end of the Easter holidays so that when I come to working again after the Easter holidays on the week of the 18th of April, I will be straight into wording and finishing up the uh, Enemies to Lovers tropes course. I think that is probably it from me this week. Um, Okay, so Rebel of the Week this week is Lena Johnson. Lena says, So my mum's side of the family is the type that always insists on paying for meals, and my dad loves fucking with people. He and my maternal grandmother would constantly fight over the bill at restaurants. Good natured, of course, but with a hint of competition and that need to win. One time, after everyone was done eating, my dad left to go to the restroom. While he was gone, the waiter came by with a bill. My grandmother snatched it up, gleeful that she'd gotten to it before my dad. It wasn't until she looked at the receipt did she realise she'd been had. My dad had not gone to the restroom. He'd gone to the waiter directly and paid the bill, then convinced the waiter to give my grandmother an old grocery store receipt. (laughs) she never quite got that one oh I love that that is a proper prank oh that is too funny and I love the rivalry as well I think that is hilarious oh thank you so much for sending in that story if you would like to be a rebel of the week then please do send in your story it can be anything it can be big small something in between it can be a family member it can be you it can be past you it can be a sibling it can be I don't know it can be anything that you like You can email your rebel story to backer on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. An enormous thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, such as the quarter two challenge that we are running at this moment in time, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Just a quick note to say that I had some um, internet issues Uh, I think this was more or less the the day the internet got uh, connected so it wasn't quite up to full speed and so there are some juddery uh, elements I've tried my best to get it as uh, clean as possible but there are a couple of little bits in there that uh, might be hard to uh, hear accurately okay that's it from me let's get on with the episode hello and welcome to the rebel author podcast I'm so excited I might actually pee my pants because today we have one of my favourite ever authors, Alex E. Harrow. A former academic and adjunct, Alex E. Harrow is a New York Times bestselling and Hugo Award-winning writer living in Virginia with her husband and their two semi-feral kids. She is the author of The Ten Thousand Doors of January, The Once and Future Witches, and various
1: short fiction. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I I swear, every time I hear my little intro, I'm like... (laughs) I've got to name my books shorter titles. It's getting out of hand. One day I'm going to have one of those cool one word titles. Well, a spindle splintered is shorter. Yeah, but I mean, you did a really good job, but I can barely say the title of my own book. (laughs) (laughs) And the next one I named a mirror mended, which is like a joke. It's so hard to say. (laughs) Oh,
0: I am so like, buzzing with excitement to have you on. Thank you so much. And like, before we dive into the questions, will you tell everyone a little bit about your personal
1: journey? Like, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, you know, like I think everybody's personal journeys, it's not, let's see. So I grew up in a very fantasy and sci-fi household. My mom's bookshelves were deeply nerdy. Um, probably like 12. I was like, I'm going to write a fantasy novel. (laughs) Um, So I abandoned that by like maybe 13. (laughs) I did write one. It's just and then kind of went through a long phase of deciding I grew out of fantasy and I was serious and academic and cool now. Um, So it wasn't until I was done with grad school at probably like, I want to say like 24 or something. I started being like, actually, I really like writing and it's maybe my truest passion. <laughs> and so I wrote some short stories. I, I used them in the way that I think many um, literary people are upset with, which is that I use them as practice for trying to write a novel. And so I practiced and I wrote some short stories and, and they were published. And then um, I got really, really, really lucky. And one of those short stories kind of went around Twitter a little bit and I got a message from an editor and a message from an agent being like, hey, you don't happen to have a novel, do you? We really like that short story. And I was like, I do. Let me finish it real quick and send it to you. And that's my agent. And that was my editor for my first two books. Wow. So that is one hell of a annoying. Story. That's very <laughs> annoying. I am aware that like writers conferences, I should keep that to myself because it's really <laughs> annoying. But that is what happened.
0: No, I think it was pure talent. And, you know, I, I. I struggle with the concept of luck I really feel like we work really hard And create opportunities So yeah Okay so I have read I think Three, no, two, two of your books and um, a short story as well. I, I have the Once in Future, which is left to go, which is on my shelf, ready to read. Um, but the one I read most recently was A Spindle Splintered, which is a retelling. So I wondered if we could start there, and could you talk us through the process for writing a retelling? Like, where where do you already where do you start when it's an established kind of fairy tale myth story? Um, and like. All the questions. How closely do you have to stick to the original story? What do you decide? Like, how do you
1: decide what to innovate? Yeah. All of the questions about retellings. So I love all of the questions about retellings because (laughs) I love retellings. I mean, I feel like I grew up a little bit in their heyday. I mean, they always are kind of in, but like late nineties, early two thousands, YA publishing, like we hit it hard. Okay. Like Robin McKinley was my whole personality for a while. Um, so I love them very much. And because I love them, I think the first thing to say is that there's absolutely no rules at all. Like people write retellings, I think for many different reasons and people respond to them for many different reasons. So there's no way to be like, you have to do this and you have to do that, etc. cetera. Um, I think the ones that tend to personally work the best for me are the ones that start from a place of love, basically. Like I, I am interested in retellings that are very subversive, but I also really am looking for that element of like, this is a story that someone has connected with very deeply. And there's pieces of it that really speak to them for very like specific reasons. And then I think I like it when you mix it, like it's something you love, but something that's maybe a little bit broken. And so like that combination of love and subversion where you're like, these pieces have to go. And these pieces are the most important thing to me. Like, I think that's where the magic comes. Can I ask? I know it's cheeky, but like, what is the bit that you loved the most about Sleeping Beauty? Like, what was that? Yeah, what was the heart and the core of it that you loved? See, this is going to be a shallow answer, but the reality is that I also grew up in the Disney Renaissance era, oh. which means that I really imprinted on a lot of beautiful princesses. And I think the truth mm-hmm. is just that I had a huge crush on Aurora. I oh. love her dress. <laughs> I love the way she looked. I love everything about her. But then like the older you get, you start to find you find yourself increasingly dissatisfied with like the story she is in. You know, like I don't think she gets to make a single meaningful choice in that entire movie. And so that combination of like this sort of damsel like figure that you formatively have a crush on and the desire to like fix this like skewed story is kind of perfect for retelling.
0: Um, I don't know what this says about me, but I think one of my favorite characters was Ursula. Like, I know that the Little Mermaid's not really like a fairy tale, but like, I think
1: Ursula. No, so, but listen, though, do you know who my other formative crush was? Oh, please tell Same me. Same movie. Ursula. No, it's Maleficent. So oh, I'm I there. Loved her. You I know, loved like, her. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all about the villains for me, I won't lie. <laughs> I will say that. And next, the sequel novella to this one, I did do a full-on villain romance. So, like, I went. I am very excited.
0: <laughs> oh my god, you're killing me! Like that. I, oh my, I already have it on
1: pre-order. I am now at it. Like, I when that drops through the door,
0: like, fuck, working. I'm gonna drop everything and read it. Um, okay, are there are there any big no-nos when you're doing retellings? Are there any mistakes like you see other people making, or like things that you think people should avoid? In if like listeners want to do retellings?
1: I mean, again, so like retellings can be a lot of things for a lot of people. And I think if you look broad enough, you start to be like, "Mm, many stories are familiar things that we have tread before. So like there's not firm rules. But I do think that it is also 2022 Western canon of sort of fairy tales and folklore and literature. And you don't interrogate it at all along the lenses of power, privilege, marginalization, race, gender identity, um, sexuality, then like it may be lacking something for me, at least like to me, like the one that's one of the biggest opportunities you get when you're doing a retelling is that you get to sort of look into its ugly roots Mm. and you get to like pull them apart. And so if you're not taking that opportunity, I'm a little bit like, ah, why? Mm -hmm. But most people are. I mean, again, it's 2022.
0: Yeah, that's one of the like. I remember uh, when I sort of first found blogging a long time ago. I wrote a deeply ranty um blog post all about the little mermaid and how anti-feminist it was and like yeah I had such a big problem with it which is probably one of the reasons that I loved a spindle Splintered* so much because <laughs> one it was queer and I'm a queer woman and like two it was just oh my god like I I have fallen in love I, I have told the story a few times for listeners now but I only um read like my first queer fiction in July last year. And it was, I know it was eye opening, like, like all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm having emotions about these books. Like Mm -hmm. I am, I feel things about, I want these characters to get together, (laughs) like rather than just, you know, binge reading and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like getting through everything. And so I spent the last I don't know, eight months finishing off a series, like a straight YA series. And now like I can't unknow what I know now. So the only things that I can write (laughs) going forward is queer fiction. But it's it's ridiculous, isn't it? Because- This is what society puts on us And tells us that we should be doing Or how we should be living our lives Well, fuck that Anyway, this is not about me And I I want to like No, no, no Just get your brain out So
1: We should talk about that Because the world The world of like queer fiction Is such a big and beautiful one I also came very late to it And I am so happy to be here (laughs) Like, Like I didn't really think Like romance novels Were not something that had a huge appeal to me I hadn't read them before And I have like found now This like narrow vein of extremely queer and inclusive um like regencies and historical romances and I just want to wrap them around me like a human blanket I'm so happy there
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh I love it I love it um yeah give them give them all to me I want to read them all um okay so like one of the things that made me fall in love with your writing um is your voice it is exquisitely lyrical it is just beautiful and oh my god like uh, that is how I want to write so I am like how did you develop your voice um please tell me it was really hard and painful and took you a really long time
1: (laughs) you know what time I think it probably is true of everyone like you're developing your voice or whatever that's like kind of genuinely your life's work right like not to get sappy about it but Um, no, I mean, the honest truth is just like reading, right? Like that's how you, at least for me, like getting way, 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 way too into particular books, making it my whole personality. And for a while, when I I was uh, younger and didn't have children, scribe whole parts of books that were like really speaking to me or that I thought were amazing. And like that process alone, like word for word, copying great sentences, there's just something like very mechanical about it that I I feel like whenever I find my writing is kind of coming out flat or coming out like just unexceptional to me. Like that's one of the things I go do is go pick up one of my favorite books and start like writing out the good lines. And they just have there's something so wonderful about like another writer's rhythms that I mm. really, really like.
0: I never read a book without sticky tabs and I am known for deconstructing. Like I will literally lift out a sentence that someone's written and I will hoard it and keep it forever and Mm -hmm. literally deconstruct like what are the literary tools or the techniques or what have they done to create the effects that they've done? It's like one of my favorite um, hobbies. So what, like you mentioned that you go back to, like a favorite book so what 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 are the books that you go to or what books
1: do you feel had like a really big impact mm-hmm. on on your writing i mean it what book i go back to like i'm a huge rereader i read things a lot and there's certain ones that just kind of come up every year but i also kind of return to them on purpose when i'm like wanting a particular thing so like specifically talking about rhythm of sentence and and sort of a quiet lyricism i'm i always go back to Le Guin. The Earth Cycle just is like unparalleled writing. Um and just and the rhythm of her storytelling is so beautiful and it flows so seamlessly. Um so that's when I go back to but then there's like totally different things. Like um, if I'm thinking about how to quickly and effectively draw character relationships and particularly like humor between them, I'm a huge Lois McMaster Bouchel reader. I've read those books. I don't even know how many times. And I just feel like she's drawn these whole big, messy, sprawling families and friendship groups and the ways they interact are so brief and so clever and so funny. And I think, I don't know, I just love them.
0: Ah, I I like pulled out a post-it and was like writing down (laughs) down notes. Um, So you have this way of describing characters that is like delicious it is so rich in imagery (laughs) and I like I wanted to ask about that specifically so like some of my my favorite ones I I did send you a couple but I found another one so like there have only ever been two kinds of librarians (laughs) in the history of the world the prudish bitter ones with lipstick running into the cracks around their lips who believe the books are their personal property and patrons um are dangerous delinquents come to steal them and witches. Like, I don't think I've ever read a better line than that. How the fuck did you come up with that? Because honestly, oh my God. Like I gasped reading that. Um, so yeah, talk, talk to me about that. Like, how do you create you such beautiful descriptions? Um Yeah. How do you decide what detail to use? Like, what advice would you give to to me who wants to write like that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, this is silly because everybody has their own little like delight. That's sort of the wonderful thing about reading. It's like you just find each person has their own little like take on introducing characters. And I love that. So nobody should do what I do in order to describe characters. It'd be so boring. However, in this one case, I do have an extremely prescriptive formula, <laughs> which is that, uh, so if I'm describing a person in particular, this is broadly true of all of my metaphors because I, uh, I have a problem about metaphors, which is that I use them too much, um, but okay. So I'm describing a person, number one, it's not, I can't ever have heard it before, like the description. Uh, and two, it has to tell me something specific. Specific about the person not just the way they look and then three that thing has to be like true and by true I mean like something that I myself have experienced in the world like it, it like a type of person that feels like recognizable if that makes sense to you um oh, and brilliant. I kind of was doing this already but then what made me come up with this list actually is reading Tamsin Muir. Have you read the Locked Tomb books? I
0: have Gideon not. Gideon the Ninth
1: and oh, Harrow the Ninth. I, I haven't, okay. but I've got well, them on my shelf. They're incredible. Okay. yeah, They are completely incredible in a lot, a lot of different ways. But one of the ways is that Tamsin just has the most delicious way of interest. I mean, it's a huge cast. The cast in these books, insane. Only the third time you read them will you finally understand who everyone is. But the way she introduces each character is so funny and so weird and so great. Like a super muscly guy is described as looking like a bag of lemons. That's incredible. (laughs) I love that. That is amazing. I love A really skinny girl who wears, there's this really skinny girl who wears robes and she's described as looking like a funeral for a twig. I love her. (laughs) Oh
0: my God. I need to pull that book out immediately. (laughs) <laughs> um oh my goodness me that is yeah like uh have you um have you read tj clune the house in the Cerulean yes City? yes oh. I, I have i loved that book it's too. almost
1: there is i see the overlap there in like his characters and i don't mean this in a mean way but they f- have this cartoonish or caricatures element where it feels like you can see them animated in your head like there's so much and they have so much personality yeah um and i feel like it's a similar skill of like quickly and hilariously drawing out a person's self.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Lucy, I think has some of the best dialogue I think I've ever read. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what advice would you give to someone like wanting to uh, create strong imagery, like uh, not just character descriptions, but strong imagery in general? Uh,
1: I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things that it just like, I take forever on. (laughs) It's not quick, lyrical and descriptive. Um, but like, I'm not really one of them.
0: (laughs) Do you, do you, so like, what is your process? Do you like fast draft and then you edit in the lyricism or like, does it come, do you write slow first drafts and get it right the first time? What I like
1: to do is, um, I write slow the first time and then the second time I also write slow. And then I finish off by editing slowly. I'm very slow. (laughs) Oh, I love that. No part of this is efficient.
0: (laughs) Hey, I don't care. Just keep, Um, just never stop writing. I'm absolutely fine. Um, (laughs) How do you world build? Because both the 10,000 doors of January and spindle felt so like real to me like what is your method or your process for world building like where do you start do you like yeah talk to me about that
1: I mean it's kind of interesting that you should mention world building because I still don't really think of myself as doing world building because I haven't done the full-on like secondary world fantasy you know Mm -hmm. like I don't have to tell anybody the name of an invented country or like it's history it's backstory or you know like I'm, I'm relying on pieces of the world that people sort of know or think they know, um, which makes it kind of like cheating. Cause then it's just a matter of like, I know that people have a vague image in their head when you say um, Disney castle, or when you say 1917, like there's just, there's particular little things. And so then you're sort of playing off of this image that's already been conjured. And the details you mention are only the ones that are either going to deepen or contradict that conjured picture, right? Like if you want people to not be picturing um let's say a very stereotypically period piece image of a street and you want them to notice other types of people in the crowd, you have to say that, you know. Okay.
0: And that brings me like it's a great segue because I think that's one of the things that I love about your stories is that they they straddle that line between contemporary world, like real world setting, but also like, like fantastical elements just blended in seamlessly like how how do you keep that balance between making both the fantasy elements and the real world elements feel lifelike and not just slapped
1: on and yeah talk, talk to me about that I was thinking I saw that question I thought it was a really good one and an interesting one because it's not something I've really consciously thought about before um um, I will say that some of my you know, favorite formative fiction did that very much. So like early Neil Gaiman, actually later Neil Gaiman too, is just very um, slipping between like the magic exists in the cracks of a very believable world. And I always mm. really loved that feeling as a kid because it's, you know, it makes it all feel more possible, right? Like mm. this is something that could happen to a little girl alone in a house. This is not um, a crazy adventurous fantasy. Um, but then I think the trick of it is, is that you describe like, there is no actual real house either. So in some ways you're just selling two lies. One of them has a little bit more um, believability, but they're both fantasy worlds, you know? Like I often think it's funny that only fantasy writers and sci-fi writers get asked about world building, but like lit fic and realism is also building a version of the world that is mm-hmm. trying to like hang together believably. So it's kind of similar work
0: yeah I can like I completely agree because the um like in the 10,000 doors of January there there were locations that I've like never visited and I don't know whether or not you base them on real experience and, and <laughs> travels and things but I felt like you did so, <laughs> you know like that is definitely world
1: building I think yeah I mean there's also an element of the con artist there right like if I sell you two things you know are true the third one you might buy yeah <laughs>
0: Absolutely. But I think, you know, so often um, we take for granted that setting can be a character as well. And it can, you know, really like change and influence a story and create kind of an atmosphere, like be that good or bad. So, yeah, it fascinates me, like these stories that flip between the real and the imagined, like in terms of our world. And, like, just like you're saying, I think that is, I think I am that little girl, like, hoping that she can turn the corner and the door's right there you know like I will Mm -hmm. always look for the door when I walk down the street or the the whatever um okay Mm -hmm. you have so much detail in your story it it blows my mind and and like you have the detail regardless of whether it's characterization world building description so like Like, I suppose my first question is how do you know where the line is between rich gorgeous description and oversaturating um and what advice would you give to new authors wanting to create books with like beautiful um detail and richness without uh, like dumping information or whatever
1: um well first I should say that like I did not necessarily get it right I mean I got it right because that's what I like to read, and I'm happy with it. But like many people hate it. <laughs> oh no, you got it right. Like, not me, to, got I'm it not right. complaining. <laughs> I'm not complaining in any sense. But like a common reader reaction is that my work is kind of slow and kind of oversaturated, and and that's a totally valid reaction to have. Was so that like wrong, I would not emulate necessarily. <laughs> Just saying there's many types of writing in this world, and it does not all have to have as many metaphors per square inch as mine does. Um, but then like in terms of what details I leave in, I think I used to overwrite a little bit more. I've kind of pared it down. I think maybe I'm slowly learning to like edit as I go a little bit more. Um, and then in the editing process was was sort of like basically you only get to pick keep one of these details about like this new room or this train car or this whatever what is it that you urgently need to communicate and I think uh early on my um I was talking to one of my really good friends and she was like really you used to write me emails that were like this long and overwrought," which is true and embarrassing um but I, I kind of still keep that in the back of my head that like Writing as if you were trying to explain, urgently explain to a dear friend what is going on. And so then the details, sort of like what matters, what you want them to see and what you want their attention drawn to, kind of becomes clear in your head. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that because whatever the protagonist focuses on is what you're saying is important to the reader I suppose Mm because that's that's where the character's attention is and therefore that is where your reader's attention is going to be drawn ah I love that so much um so you've written a number of short stories and novellas now I really enjoy flash fiction and I really enjoy writing novels but I'm pretty fucking shit (laughs) at writing short
1: stories um how do you do it well How? I mean I've never successfully done flash fiction if it helps <laughs> the shortest is like 1500 words maybe and I was like "Phew, that's it I can't go any lower
0: <laughs> oh I love that everybody has like oh I would just kill to be able to I've, I've managed one novella does that count
1: <laughs> it does it does
0: um yeah. So, like, what's your best advice uh, when trying to write shorter stories? But I suppose specifically, um, you you create so much richness in the characters in such a short space of time. Like, how how do you do that? How?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at first, I think it's one of the really cool things about science fiction and fantasy as a genre is that they're one of the only genres that has functional. Publishing systems for basically any length of story you're writing. Uh, Like there's a fairly robust short fiction market that pays pro rates. Uh, There's novella publishers now, there's more than one, you know, um, and then novels and they go to trilogies and, you know, like any scale of idea. And so I think that's really cool and encourages authors to not just like make their idea a particular length, but to like write to suit the scale of idea. And the way I've sort of come to think of it is that like the length of the story has to do with the number of choices that are made inside it, right? (laughs) So like a novel is many different choices being strung together, right? And I think in my head, if I have an idea, I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to write about this, but it's really just like one little pivotal turning point. Like one thing that happens, that's a short story then. Because you basically only have space for one major decision. <laughs> I think my mind might have just blown.
0: <laughs> I have <laughs> never heard anybody talk about short stories like that. Holy shit. That makes so much sense. Like It might be easier to write them now. <laughs> like, oh, my God. So I, I just participated. Well, I've just organized an anthology. And um. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, it's publishing at the end of this month and, and it's, and it's, uh, it's called The Rebel Diary. So it's all, it's every, it's either villains or it's like characters with morally gray compasses. And um, yeah, and um, it was a real fucking challenge (laughs) from (laughs) a short story and I managed it through literally grit I think that is because I couldn't not have my own story in an anthology I was the last one to finish though let me just point out um yeah that 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 has blown my mind I think that will make it considerably easier to uh write short stories going forward oh
1: thank you so much I mean Um, you say that but I'm literally right now trying to write a short story and I was like oh Oh, the problem is that they I'm trying to cram like four truths. Like I've wildly misscaled the story. So it doesn't, you know, magically solve anything.
0: <laughs> oh the joys of writing. Write a book, they said. It'll be fun, <laughs> they said. <laughs> um i i can't believe that i'm at the end of my questions i'm devastated because i would love to talk to you all night um but this is the rebel author podcast so can you tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel
1: oh um i mean this is very like elementary school baby steps version but but it's on my mind because my kid's lunch lady is being a dick to him. And my lunch lady was a dick to me when I was a kid. When I was like 10, I was maybe the only, one of the only kids on reduced or free lunch in my school. We had just moved and I was from Kentucky and we were in like Boulder, Colorado, and everybody had a bunch of money, et cetera, et cetera. And for whatever reason, my lunch lady decided to make like a really big deal out of that and like, wouldn't let me like made me finish everything that was on my tray and like told other people that I was on reduced lunch and blah, blah blah like all this nonsense and I told my parents and my parents were like all right here you go and they gave me the coin jar that we kept in the house and I counted out all my weeks lunches in pennies and I paid her in pennies every day for a week
0: oh i bet she hated that
1: she did she did hate that i mean now i'm like wow she was probably making minimum wage and her life also sucked and you know a little more solidarity wouldn't have gone amiss but also i oh, felt fuck pretty yeah. fucking cool yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god i love that oh i could just imagine like the smug kid feeling of yeah. like ah,
1: this yeah you. and this adult being like oh my fucking yeah. god
0: <laughs> <laughs> what did i do to deserve this yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: you were mean to a kid that's what <laughs> oh uh, well thank you so so much for your time today would you tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else you'd like to add
1: uh, deeply regrettably, you can find me at all hours of the day and night on Twitter. At <laughs> Alex Zuhiro.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, um, a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black, you are listening to the amazing Alex E. Harrow, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week we have a seriously fun, cool, and awesome episode. We have not one, not two, but three guests as well as myself. We have uh, brand new authors of Varying Shade. We've got C.M. Newell, S.W. Miller and Scott Williamson. And we are going to be talking all about how to launch your first book from people who have actually just launched their first books. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.